and Lumos. Hello and welcome to all you wizards, witches, muggles and squibs out there. And welcome to the second episode of our new Harry Potter podcast, Potter Jewels, trying to provide some much needed light in the darkness. I am your host, Tim. Alongside me, as always, is my brother, Martin. Hey. And today is quite a special episode because it is the 22nd year anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts. So today we thought we would talk about which death was the saddest in the battle. Uh, So that's from the moment that Harry arrives at Hogwarts to the moment Voldemort goes down at the climax of, of the fight. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, you can get in touch with the show at Potterjules on Twitter. You can email us at potterjules at hotmail.com or you can contact us via Facebook at facebook.com forward slash potterjules. That is P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, all one word. Again, we are going to be talking about uh, the Battle of Hogwarts, so spoilers for all seven books and The Cursed Child, along with all eight films. So you are warned. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of very tragic deaths. You know, the fallen fifty. So before we start, every year on this day, J.K. Rowling apologizes to uh, a character that she killed off. She's apologized to Fred, Dobby, Snape, and Lupin. Uh, I, if I recall, and uh, Sirius sort of subtly last year. Uh, but today, due to the pandemic that's going on in the world and the 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 amounts of uh, of unfortunate real life deaths that are, that are happening right now, she has tweeted out today. Today is the twenty second anniversary of the Battle of Hogwarts, but I'm going to be honest and say that it feels inappropriate to talk about fictional deaths today. Too many people are losing loved ones in the real world. So on this anniversary anniversary of a great great wizarding victory. I'm thinking of the people who are out there doing their jobs to protect us and our way of life. I have three key workers in my immediate family and like all such relatives, I'm torn between pride and anxiety. Uh, As ever in a crisis of this sort, the poorest and the most vulnerable are hit hardest. So in honour of the Battle of Hogwarts, I'll be making a donation of one million pounds, half of which will go to crisis.org.uk who are helping the homeless during the pandemic, and half of which will go to refuge.org.uk, because we know that domestic abuse has sadly increased hugely during the lockdown. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, incredible gesture, and, you know, it will will massively help two incredible charities. Um, You know, obviously she does a huge amount of of charitable work um, throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. This is just... uh, you know, one fantastic example of, of, of what she what she does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And while she is correct that, you know, it does feel it does feel a bit weird and inappropriate sort of talking about fictional characters and fictional deaths, we're going to <laughs> uh, because uh, you know, we do still see Harry Potter as a as a way for people to to escape real life problems and dive into the magical world and uh, and listen to uh, and listen to arguments about fictional characters. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, you know it's an incredible world that's been created, and you know she obviously always says that you know Hogwarts is always there to welcome you home, whether it be by the book or by the films. So um, you know that's yeah, yeah, what she would want one hundred percent. 
So we will be looking at uh, which character had the saddest death. There were loads of really, really sad uh, and tragic deaths in, in that in that battle. So who do you think was the saddest one, Mark? Well, I mean, firstly, we've got to say that there were so many deaths in, in the you know the battle that were absolutely tragic. And it is tough to, to pick just one. Um, but for the purposes of the discussion, I'm going to say uh, that Tonks was the um, the most tragic death. And I'm going to say this for, for two main reasons. Firstly, obviously, she'd just become a, a mother to Teddy. Um, and secondly, because there was she didn't necessarily need to be at the battle obviously she wanted to be to to support remus and the rest of dumbledore's army um in the final battle against the death eaters and voldemort but she was initially staying home to to look after teddy um but decided to to join the battle later leaving teddy with her mother i think it's it's a really really tragic one that she she risks her life and future happiness with her her newborn son to to try and you know help her husband um during the battle and ultimately um loses her life because of it so like you said it is a it is a tough question this one but i'm gonna say tonks yeah i i think tonks is undoubtedly very tragic i mean could you make an argument that the reason she got killed by bellatrix because bearing in mind, she'd fought Bellatrix a couple of times before and had at least held her own. So she she, she was a very capable aura and and certainly in the second one on the Battle of the Seven Potters had held her own. So could you make an argument that because of uh, the year that she had uh, in hiding, uh, in combination with the fact that she had just given birth to, to Teddy meant that she was a bit more sluggish? potentially because, because, I think yeah because I know it's speculated on uh, Pottermore that that might have been a contributing reason as to why she she died and also similarly Remus died because or the reasoning was because he came up against Dollarhoff who had spent the last year being very very active in attacking wizards and muggles alike whereas Lupin had been pretty much shut up and you know hadn't really been doing much in the way of fighting so it was just a bit slower in terms of the the reflex and the reaction time and i think in a way it might be similar to tonks coming up against bellatrix so it's you know P- potentially but i think you have to to say that bellatrix was an incredibly powerful witch and to to say that tonks um was a bit sluggish does her a little bit of a disservice i think you know, mm. Bellatrix was incredibly skilled, particularly in the dark arts, and would have been a match for anyone. Yeah, I I, I think Tonks is a is an excellent shout. I mean, obviously Tonks and and Lupin. We spoke about Lupin uh, a lot in in the last episode, but that is another undoubtedly tragic death. I think the one that I would say was the saddest is probably I'm gonna I'm gonna say Fred Weasley because. You have killed one half of a twin. You know, even uh, when Mrs. Weasley saw uh, the bogger in Order of the Phoenix and she imagined like a de- dead Ron, a dead Harry, a dead Arthur, 
dead twins. Because even in her worst nightmare, she couldn't imagine those two being apart from each other. So to separate one from the other in that fashion is unspeakably cruel. And yeah, I, I, I think killing killing half of a twin and again his other twin George wasn't there at the time so so it's not like you know they died or one died in the presence of the other you know the only two times in the entire books where one of them got injured was in the battle of Hogwarts and the battle of the seven potters and the two things those two have in common was that that other twin wasn't with them at the time because obviously George lost his ear when Fred wasn't with him and Fred lost his life when George wasn't with him and those are the only two times really in the entire series that we see those two apart from each other so that's who I would probably have as the as the saddest death I mean you can make you can make arguments for for Snape to be honest you know dying a traitor and still not having his you know truth known until after he died. The other one that was has officially been named in the books is Colin Creevy. Yeah, and that's a tragic. That's a tragic one. It is because of his age as well. I think that's mm. a, that's a big contributing factor. But I would say, in terms of character size, mixed with likability, mixed with, as I say, the manner in which it happened, uh, I would have to say Fred uh, gets the gets a nod for me. Incidentally, do you consider Lavender Brown dead? Uh, I never have personally. Um, I always no, nor the, me. I always thought the the stirring to me implied that she was going to be okay. I mean, obviously, it could have gone mm. either way, but in my sort of reading of it, I always assumed that she she was okay. I think we can clearly say in the film she was she was very much dead. Yes, yeah. But if we're going by the books, I, I, I agree. I, I always thought that she she survived. But there is, what, 45 other deaths that have been unaccounted for? So it's entirely possible that Lavender was one of those was one of those 45. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I mean, I, I never read it as such. But yeah, it's, it's, it's plausible that that's the case. Because, I mean, I, 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 when, when they talk about the Fallen 50... I consider it to be the ones that we know are Snape, Fred, Lupin, Tonks and Colin. Uh, I don't count, you know, Crabbe or Bellatrix or Voldemort because, you know, why would they be part of the the Fallen 50? So to me, that leaves 45 other characters that, that died. I mean, is there any other characters in the, the in your head? would have died i mean have you have you ever tried to to fill out the fallen 50 in terms of thinking oh he he probably died or she probably died no no i I tend to to go based on the you know the the confirmed ones from the the book really Mm. um i think it's it's difficult to to say without that confirmation um who who they were yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing I would uh, I would make a point in again, they're not part of the the Fallen Fifty, but again, it's it does it play a part in in the final battle. Is when the sort of fighting starts again. They talk about like Flitwick taking down Dollarhoff and um, Hagrid taking down McNair and stuff like that. Do you consider that to mean they killed 
those characters or do you think Dollarhoff, McNair and the other Death Eaters did, Greyback and, and others survived? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, obviously we, we don't know for certain. Um, my interpretation was that they they were killed. Um, I mean, we know that some uh, people were taken to, to Azkaban um, after the after the Battle of Hogwarts. They were mm. later kind of sent there. Um, my interpretation has always been that um, they were killed, but I, you know, I don't think we have that confirmation either way. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is whether within that 50 you count characters who who died before the the battle you know Ooh, yeah that's that is an excellent point i mean potentially would you have characters like dobby in there who played a ted tonks yeah they i mean they played a huge role in the the battle um against the dark arts um but whether mm. you count them within the 50 or whether it was specific to the the battle yeah, I that that is a that is an excellent point. I mean, I I kind of in my head just saw the fallen fifty as those that died on that night. But you know, you could make an argument that Dobby and uh, and others were were included. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we don't know either way, but I think in some ways I've always thought it would be nice to think of them included within that, just because mm. you know they did play a role in it, and just because it wasn't you know, at the time of the battle, um, you know, it's nice to think that they're remembered as part of the, the movement against Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, that is that is an excellent point. That is, that is, I hadn't actually thought of that, but yeah, I quite like that as well. Just honouring characters like Dobby, characters like Moody, Ted Tonks. Yeah, yeah, I like that. On the topic of the of, of the sort of reinforcements where they come back and fight, Charlie Weasley and Slughorn leading the second wave of attackers of you know the uh, Hogsmeade residents and whatever. Why was Charlie Weasley not there at the beginning? Was it always planned for him to get on a uh, you know to attack on the second wave, as it were? Well, I, you know, I mean, people did arrive at the battle at different times. Mm. You know, lo- logistically because of the the way in. Um, you know, that Aberforth trying to get people into Hogwarts, you know, naturally it meant that they couldn't all arrive at once. So I'm, I'm not mm. sure whether that was planned and, and more circumstantial. Mm. Because, I mean, I, it's obviously understandable why Charlie Weasley was late, because obviously he was based in, in Romania. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to, to get there and then obviously through the Hogshead as well. Um, you know, I think it's natural that people would arrive at, at different times and, you know, it could be that the tactics evolved out of that so that when, mm. you know, those characters did arrive together that they led the second wave. Especially when they have, you know, like the, um, there to be a stop in the battle to, to bury the dead and tend to the wounded, where if you are in Hogsmeade, you are sort of building up that second level of resistance to, to come in and, um, after that hour is complete because you know Voldemort himself said he was going to enter the fray so you would need all hands on deck so it makes sense that you would use that hour to strategize yeah definitely I mean I think you know relatively speaking the battle happens quite quickly I'm not sure there was time to put in a uh, you know a battle plan that was thought through to, to that level of detail I think things probably 
evolved and happened based on the circumstances and what was happening in the battle at the time. So um, I would say it was, you know, people as and when rather than you know, necessarily strategically waiting for certain people to arrive. Mm. Would there be any changes that you would personally make to to the battle? Is there, you know, any directions you would have gone gone in? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to have seen uh, a little more dialogue or explanation as to what happened with Lupin and Tonks. Um, yeah, hundred percent. They deserved a death scene, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I I think it was. Um, I remember back to the first time reading it and sort of having to to read that line a couple of times just to make sure I'd read it correctly. Mm, um, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a real shock that it was kind of... Um, a passing mention, really. Yeah, it was put in at that point. I wasn't quite expecting it. And um, I would like to have... Mm. Um, I mean, as sad as it would have been to have heard it, obviously, it would have been, um, you know, nice to have had... Um, yeah, a few more details on that. I mean, if you think about that last, the the the, the last book, Deathly Hallows, a lot of the key deaths were not seen. I mean, you've got Tonks and Lupin. You also have Moody towards the beginning, and a lot of the you know a lot of the the casualties kind of you you hear about after the fact. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think in some ways that's reflective of the the scale of, of what's going on, um, you know, and, and, you know, there are a lot of deaths in the book that, you know, maybe for narrative purposes, they couldn't have all had that, the death scene that perhaps in other books they might have done. Guys like Ted Tonks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's another example. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Fred and Dobby do, um, and the, there's a lot that don't, but then the you know there are a lot of of deaths within the book, you know, and I'm not sure that you could do it for all of them. So, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose a bit. I mean, one death that maybe doesn't get spoken about a lot in terms of the the surprise of it. Did you find Crab's death surprising and his sort of turn towards the? the ruthless death eater mold as opposed to gormless henchman no i i didn't find that surprising because you know i, I think you that you know the death eaters provided the the circumstances for for crab to um you know engage with that darker side um you know you know it's mentioned in the books that it's the first time he's ever been good at anything and uh, you know, mm. that's that that's correct, but you know, they've created the environment where that's possible for him to be. I mean, so I, I mean it's also the first line of dialogue he had since uh, Chamber of Secrets when uh, when Harry and Rom took the place of uh, Crab and Goyle. Yeah, I mean, I mean he doesn't you know play a huge role within the books, but you know, I think that's still it's still very valid that he would thrive under those conditions that were employed in the you know at hogwarts in the seventh book i think yeah, that's very um realistic that he would have become more prominent um and uh, you know had a, a new lease of life under the the brutality of that regime i mean it surprised me a little bit just in terms of that he was talented enough to do it because you know across the first 
six books of knowing him, he does just seem like a, a gormless henchman. There's talk about, you know, him failing his um, the OWL in Defence Against the Dark Arts and all these other implications that he's just a bit of an idiot. Um, so it did surprise me that he was talented enough to conjure the fiend fire. Yeah, I mean, whether he meant to do that or not, I'm, I'm not sure, but certainly... He did become more proficient in the dark arts during that year, and you know, was one of the the students that was favoured by the the Caros to um, you know you know use the the tactics that they were that they were employing at Hogwarts at the time. Um, you know, and I, I think that you know whilst he might you know might have been a uh, kind of dumb henchman at, at some point, I think given that license to to have a bit of power and to um to use the kind of spells that they were using you know it's, it's probably you know very realistic to think that they would kind of thrive under those conditions for the first time mm. you know, and i think also as well that you know the times times changed um you know the world has become a lot darker and you know for, for someone like crab who probably saw himself going on to be a a death eater he, he needed to learn those spells so it was probably yeah. the first time he'd ever had the motivation um to do so along with the um the people who were were willing to help him with that mm. i also found it quite interesting how both crab and goyle from about halfway through half blood prince really uh, but mainly in that scene in in the removal requirement they had sort of turned on on Draco to a degree. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they were kind of going down different paths a little bit. Um, you know, obviously there was a, I think, an element of jealousy um, that Draco had been chosen by Voldemort for a mission, and that he was asserting his authority um, over Crab and Goyle to to help him with that without kind of letting them into to any details or to you know closer to him so not for the first time either you know over no, the years that 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 was their sort of mo and then uh it, i imagine was, that was kind of I like think, the last straw yeah and i think as the characters get older um mm. they were probably less tolerant to that and i think you know they saw the the war coming and probably wanted mm. to um you know play a play a bigger role in that yeah yeah what do you think would have because uh, bearing in mind um crab and goyle was more than happy to try and kill harry in the room of requirement despite the fact that voldemort definitely didn't want him to be killed by anyone else's hand but his yeah i can't imagine that going to, down too well if he if he had managed to kill harry no i mean you know and i think that kind of sums them up a little bit that they mm. You know, didn't have the the intelligence to be a to play a bigger role in the you know the Death Eaters movement. You know, they were you know I think they were, they were probably in it for personal glory and didn't see the bigger picture. So um, whereas Draco did, and I think that's probably a key difference between them as well. 
Mm. I think the you know the other thing that I do find quite interesting is that um you kind you kind of felt Malfoy's character shift throughout those last couple of books, but there is equally so much of the writing for Malfoy was still that yeah you you meant to not like him and you meant to to hate him, especially in uh, in Half Blood Prince, and then even in the battle you know Harry saves him and then he's trying to say to the Death Eaters, I'm on your side. I think his character arc was very interestingly finished in in the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, done very deliberately, obviously, to kind of highlight the position that he found himself in. And you can kind of see the the same with Lucius as well. They're kind of, you know, I think that to, to some extent they feel a little bit trapped and powerless. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation for them that they they don't fall into one side or the other naturally um, were you surprised that all three of them survived the deathly hallows all three of the malfoys yeah I, I was i was a little surprised um that lucius did i, I thought um that draco and narcissa uh would survive but i, I wasn't sure about lucius um mm. Just because you know he he did play a uh, take on a larger role within the, the Death Eater movement, um, so and obviously you know as things transpired uh, within the book, obviously he didn't have a wand, which made him very vulnerable. Mm. So as I was reading, I, I did think that he was um, you know, may not survive the battle. I mean, it does say something about you know Lucius and Narcissa at the end. That they're both running through the Battle of Hogwarts around the Great Hall, wandless, calling for their son. Yeah, and you know you, you can argue that that's one of the most um, selfless acts. You know, um, certainly they're putting themselves in an incredibly vulnerable and dangerous position, um, but all of that's overridden by their desire to try and find Draco. Yeah, I mean, I thought that Lucius would probably survive. The one I thought might go would be would be Draco. Uh, I thought he might die establ- establishing which side he's on. Uh, possibly. I, I kind of always thought he would survive just because there was enough of his character that was redeemable. Mm. Um, and but I thought that uh, I thought like Snape that might be you know what makes it ultimately redeemable is that, you know, he dies saving somebody or, or, yeah. or, you know, just, di- just dies, you know, at some point, after, you know, by making a stand on, on which way he's, which side he's on. Yeah. I mean, that certainly could have been one way that it went, um, you know, and, and, and ultimately he didn't have that moment particularly where he did make that stand i mean you can argue that in you know malfoy manor he didn't you know give away harry completely um but there certainly wasn't the uh, the big moment of making a stand as to which side he was on you know as you mentioned that even though harry had saved him told the death eaters he was still on their side and you know i'm sure he would have told members of the order that he was on their side so um, mm. He didn't have that that big moment. But I do think he gets that big moment, you know, when when you go into the cursed child once he's aged a bit. Yeah, definitely, and, and you know, and then I think we can really see the um, the full effects of you know those last two years at Hogwarts um, and the impact that it had on him. I mean, given the fact that he had joined the Death Eaters and was 
responsible for bringing in Death Eaters to Hogwarts and uh, and all that. I'm a little bit surprised he was at Hogwarts during his final year. I thought yeah. that there would be a chance he would just be at Malfoy Manor with, with the rest of the Malfoys and with, with Voldemort. Well, yeah, and certainly he thought so. You know, in the, mm. um, in the Half-Blood Prince, he, he was very adamant that he was going to move on to bigger and better things. So I think perhaps he was surprised by it as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, you touched on him uh, a little bit at the at the start. When you were reading it for the first time, where did you stand on Snape's true colours being revealed? Uh, I mean, obviously, that's one of the, the key moments of the entire series. And, um, you know, I, I thought the the way it was done was, was incredible, really. Um, mm. you know, I, I was one of the people who thought that he had shown his true colours at the end of the Half-Blood Prince, and I wasn't sure that there was a way back for him. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I was in that camp as well. But, you know, the, the way that things transpire and the explanations that are given, um, you know, it's, it's really an incredible moment. And it's just sort of like the culmination of a, a really, really great story arc. It is, and, you know, then you immediately you're already starting to think of going back and rereading the series and looking at all the different you know, things that he said and mm. you know, when you've you've interpreted it one way and then you know you have to interpret it completely the opposite way it's um it's a very interesting read having you know been able to experience it from from both sides of the argument i mean i i like you i was i was very shocked when he turned out to be on on the good side after all because i i like you i thought that he'd um shown his true colors and and he was truly evil and that dumbledore just got it wrong which i think would have been an interesting way to go you know having someone like dumbledore who was so adamant and then for him actually to have been wrong on snape would have been huge but I think that it reads better with the completion of his story that it was all part of a, a bigger plan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, you can look at it both ways on that, you know, depending on, on what you like, really, whether you like the idea that um, Dumbledore could have been fooled over all these years or whether you, you like the idea that the, there was that master plan. Um, you know, personally, I... You know, I think the the way that it was done was was fantastic, and um, you know, whilst it it shocked me, I was um, you know, very pleasantly surprised and, and relieved that this was all part of a, a bigger plan. Yeah, and I think that when he died, I mean, I, I mean, on on a, a slight side note, I was a little bit surprised why Voldemort decided to use Nagini to kill him as opposed to just killing him like you would normally kill him especially bearing in mind he wanted to take control of the Elder Wand surely to to take true possession of the Elder Wand you actually have to murder the person yourself yeah I, I mean yeah ob- obviously in hindsight for, from his point of view of course he should have done but you know I think he he was probably as fond of Nagini as it was possible for him to be of um to to anyone really so um Mm. i I mean one thing that i would um say my view has has always been had he killed snape with avada cadaver 
I think Snape would have come back as a ghost to 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 tell Harry the truth. Um, because he had to know for the water for 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 his sacrifice to be to be worth it. So he would have had to have. Uh, I mean, that, you know, it's an interesting one because I think within normal circumstances he he would have gone on, and you know, hmm. there's no way he would have come back. It would have been yeah, potentially interesting, and you know, I, I suppose another way of looking that would that would be that his penance would be to to walk the earth you know his imprint to walk mm. the earth for all eternity as a, a tribute to to lily really you know to fulfill the promise that he made to um work towards the cause of you know her memory and jk has uh has previously said about ghosts is that you know how you typically become a ghost is uh if the person that has died feels like they have some form of unfinished business or something left to do uh, and that just sums up what Snape would have you know would have if he if he did get killed he would still have unfinished business yes he would have to he would have to make sure that Voldemort died by by saying to Harry about the memories and you know yeah he, he would and you know in some ways I suppose that would be the the ultimate sacrifice really to to give Harry that information that he would have you know his imprint would have to to walk the earth long after the long after the battles and the, the lives of the people that he he tried to save it would have been very similar to the arc of the bloody baron in a way it, it would you know there's a there's a comparison there to be made and you know the you know, the baron's chains and you know Snape certainly had, um, you know, metaphorically, those chains of his own as well. Mm. Okay, so as is customary on, on this podcast, we will now make a closing argument for our main debate, which was who had the saddest death in the Battle of Hogwarts. You've got 30 seconds for Tonks. Okay, I've got my stopwatch. Um, my time for Tonks starts now. So I think Tonks had the saddest death in the Battle of Hogwarts as she'd just become uh, a wife to, to Remus Lupin and a mother to, to Teddy Lupin. Um, she bravely left Teddy um, with her mother in order to join the battle and therefore you know, made the ultimate sacrifice when she could legitimately have, have stayed away and stayed safe to to grow up and be a mother to, to Teddy. Um but instead she tried to protect her husband. So I think she had the saddest death. 31 seconds. Not bad. And for Fred, the time starts now. Well, for Fred, I would say that the, the reason I would say he's the saddest death is more due to the impact that was left behind. You know, they killed half of a twin. You split one of a whole person. George never recovered. He could never cast a Patronus again because he didn't have the happy, happy thoughts. Uh, necessary and the fact is that even in mrs weasley's worst nightmare she couldn't imagine the two of them separated well i got my argument in just about well there we go those are the two uh two summary arguments and like with the most tragic life uh argument we'll be putting this poll up on twitter and we will be revealing the results of that uh the tragic life one and this duel on the next episode so stay tuned for that again if fred wins or loses whichever way you want to look at it the saddest death poll then 10 points go to hufflepuff if you think that 
Tonks as a saddest death, then 10 points goes to Gryffindor. Or if you vote other, 5 points will be taken off both of our houses. Uh, Next episode we will be talking about characters that were the biggest unsung heroes. And there are lots of different ways we can go with that, so I'm quite looking forward to that. It It should be a good debate. Yeah, it should be a good one. As ever, we will finish with a quiz about the topic we discussed, so the Battle of Hogwarts. Five questions, each worth five house points and i will go first and ask my first question which is what's the spell that professor mcgonagall used to mobilize all the statues and suits of armor is it peer totem totalis peer totem statua petrificus statua or peer totem locomorto it's peer totem locomorto that is correct question number Two, what is Peeves seen dropping on the Death Eaters? Is it A, Dung Bombs, B, Custard Pies, C, Snargluff Pods, or D, Peruvian Instance Darkness Powder? Uh, It's Snargluff Pods. That is correct. Which of the following was not seen casting their Patronus against the Dementors to, to save Harry? Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas, Ernie McMillan, and Luna Lovegood. Uh, Luna definitely did. I think Seamus did. I think Ernie did, so I'll say Dean. That is also correct. You're on a roll. Answer all that apply, so it can be one or it can be five. Which Hogwarts staff members are tasked with overseeing the evacuation? Rubius Hagrid. Horace Slughorn, Argus Filch, Madame Pomfrey, Madame Hooch. I think it's Filch. Uh, I'll say Argus Filch and Madame Pomfrey. That is correct. Yeah, you're on a you're you're rolling with this. Yep. And my final question is, what was the last words that Voldemort said to Snape? Is it a kill B with you alive the elder wand can never truly be mine C you have been a good servant or D I regret it it is D I regret it that is correct five out of five maximum maximum points to Gryffindor excellent yep some good questions there and now it is your turn okay first question is what year was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows released? Was it 2004, Ooh. 2005, 2006, or 2007? It was 2007, I believe. That is correct. Okay. Question number two. Just before Hermione and Ron kiss for the first time, Hermione drops an armload of things. What were they? Were they probity probes, time turners, basilisk fangs, or rocks? Basilisk fangs. Correct. Question three. Snape gives his memories to Harry, and Harry looks at them in the pensive. But what is the last memory he sees? Is it Snape returning to Grimmauld Place and weeping at Lily's letter? Is it Snape in the headmaster's office talking to Phineas Nigellus? Is it Snape gliding on a broomstick 
and casting Sectum Semprayer to Death Eater to prevent him from cursing Lupin but hitting George? Or is it Snape confunding Mundungus? It is B, him talking to Phineas Nigellus in the headmaster's office. That's correct. Question four. In Snape's memories, when he is sorted into Slytherin, who does he receive a pat on the back from? Is it Avery, Mulciber, Malfoy or Slughorn? It's Lucius Malfoy because he was the prefect. Correct. Question five. During the Battle of Hogwarts, the Pensieve plays a key role. But which cast member described the Pensieve as their favourite prop from the series? Oh, God. Is it Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson or Michael Gambon? God, that's a really, really difficult one. Uh, I don't think it's Rupert or Emma Watson. I think it's got to be it's got to be one that's used it on screen. Um, I'm going to say. Daniel Radcliffe. That is incorrect. Oh, damn it. Actually, Emma Watson's favourite prop. Really? Yeah, it was indeed. I did not know that. Evidently, Mm. given the fact that I got it wrong. (laughs) So, four out of five. Not bad, though. Yeah, yeah, not bad. I believe that levels up the series. It does indeed. It does indeed. We are both level on 40 points. Going into next episode's duel, which again is on characters that were the biggest unsung heroes. So that will be a really, really good one. So be sure to subscribe for that and future Harry Potter debates. Again, you can contact us at Potter Jewels, that's P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, on Twitter, PotterJewels at Hotmail.com for email or Facebook.com forward slash PotterJewels. Until next time, thank you very, very much for joining us. I've been Tim. He is Martin. See you next time. And until then, Knox.